I want to take as my text this morning that reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page um, 1148. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning at verse 3, which I'd like us to look at again. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. And the apostle, the great apostle to the Gentiles wrote, and we put no obstacle, no obstacle in anyone's way so that no one might find fault in the way that we do our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet we're true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we're alive, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We've spoken to you freely, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts toward us also. This morning I want to talk about recognizing and responding to authentic ministry. Recognizing and responding to authentic ministry. Now, truth be told, not all ministry that's done in the church is reflective of the model of ministry that's been handed down to us by Jesus. Nor is all ministry done in the church an authentic continuation of the model of ministry modeled for us by the apostles in the New Testament. In fact, I have found it somewhat interesting over the years, the response of some Christians uh, uh, to the model of ministry that we find in the New Testament, just like what we read. Uh, for some, the ministry model is a strange and perhaps a, a not a little bit uh, confusing. Uh, it, for, for others, uh, it's seen uh, uh, clearly as, as undesirable <laughs> or perhaps even unacceptable. I've had people tell me, I'm not doing that. And so what does authentic ministry really look like? To simplify it, I'd like to suggest that there's four characteristics of authentic ministry, as they seem to appear here in our text. And the first is, is that authentic ministry is conscientious about being authentic. That authentic ministry is conscientious about being authentic. In fact, notice again Paul's words. He, he's very conscientious. Notice uh, at verse 3, and we put no ox obstacle in anyone's way. 
so that, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now, it's in the subject, uh, subjunctive uh, voice, or mood, I should say, which means <laughs> that could happen or not. But he's trying. He's trying to do it in a way that ones wouldn't, people wouldn't find fault with it. But in verse 4, but as servants of God, that's a self-description, as servants of God, we commend ourselves to you in every way. And so uh, Paul says that tr truly authentic ministry and those who are doing it care about being authentic. And that those who engage in authentic ministry, what they want to be is servants of God. True servants of God. And those who really want to be true servants of God focus on that. They're conscientious about it. They weigh their motives. They look at what they're doing. Why am I doing this? Is this for me? Or is this for you, Lord? And so they focus on that, and, and they engage in doing what's necessary to keep that all straight. In fact, this made me think of a couple of scriptures that came to mind. Uh, Paul, when he met with the Ephesian elders, and that's recorded for us in the 20th chapter of, of Acts, he talks about this. In fact, the order here, if you notice, is really sort of interesting. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he tells the leaders of the Ephesian church in the mid-first century, the first thing he tells them is this, pay careful attention to yourselves. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is pay attention to yourself and then to all the flock. And we would probably turn that around and say, you know, your responsibility is to please these people or to meet their needs or, or do these things. And the Apostle Paul, when we're talking about an authentic, dominical, apostolic ministry, where does it start? It starts with the minister paying attention to himself, the minister paying attention to herself, the Sunday school teacher, the vestry member, the, the heading up the hospitality, the head of the ushers, whatever it is that you're doing in the name of Christ. It all starts with paying attention to yourself. <laughs> pay careful, and it's not just paying attention, but paying careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock of God in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul again, writing to his protege Timothy, whom he left in Ephesus, and we can't seem to get out of Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. <laughs> Number one, Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In fact, even the teaching doesn't come first. Keep a watch on yourself. I, I, I could right now name on one hand and that's too many. Clergy, since we're talking about ministers, but you're all ministers if you're servants of God. But clergy who weren't paying attention to this. Celebrity clergy, in fact, they're the ones that I'm thinking about, are all, were all well known and still well known. 
But this wasn't at the top of the page for them. Keep watch. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save, save both yourself and your hearers. In fact, what a travesty it would be if we preach to others and we're not saved ourselves. If we preach to others and we're not touched by the message ourselves. And so some may criticize and find fault with those engaged in authentic ministry, but those who are never want it to be because they're failing to be true servants of God. And so authentic ministry is conscientious about being authentic. Then Paul says that authentic ministry is characterized by endurance. It's characterized by endurance. And, and notice verses 3 through 5. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. How do you commend yourself, Paul? By great endurance in afflictions. This is his resume. <laughs> Hardships, calamities, beatings. I don't have that on my resume. Swindoll said that one of, the, one of the members of the council when he was pastoring the church in, uh, outside of Boston pulled a gun on him. But I don't, have that in my, I don't have that in my resume. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And so the apostle Paul gives this rather long list of things that characterized his ministry and the ministry of those who uh, do ministry, uh, the, those who were doing ministry with him. And the first is endurance. He was saying, listen, look at my ministry and look at my life. I endure. I've been here and I'm still here. In fact, he calls it great endurance. That is to say that Paul and his companions were steadfast. Or as my, yeah, as my friend uh, Sam Long is wont to say, hold fast. They were holding fast. They didn't quit, even in the face of difficulties and resistance. Indeed, Paul says uh, that uh, while doing uh, ministry, and his, together with his companions, they were, uh, they, they were called to endure all sorts of things while they were engaged in ministry, including what he lists here, uh, afflictions. In the Greek, it means, it means crushing pressure. I mean, we, isn't it interesting that we read this stuff and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess he had some afflictions. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, there were some riots and some beatings. <laughs> crushing affliction. Have you ever felt like the pressure was just, it wouldn't lift? Afflictions. <laughs> I'm the servant of God. And this is what it's like, Paul is saying. And hardships, sometimes referred to as necessities. He was in need. How many of us said, Lord, I'm just trying to serve you. What's with all of this? Necessities. Calamities. Oh, my God. Calamities. It literally means in the, great, in the Greek, narrow spaces. 
In fact, in the New English Bible, it, it, it translated, and we, will, we, we can relate to this, dire straits. That is, circumstances in which there seem to be no escape. What we sometimes describe as being between a rock and a hard place. The kind of situation in which we most definitely would be tempted to give up, but they didn't give up. Now stop and think of the, the inconveniences that keep you from serving God. This guy is afflicted. He's in dire straits, and he won't quit. This is apostolic ministry. Beatings. <laughs> Beatings. In fact, it made me think of what he wrote to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17. Man, the Galatians were giving him headaches like you can't believe. This is one of the last things he writes. There's only six chapters and there aren't many more verses than this, than this, than this 17th verse. And it's almost like he comes, like he's like completely worn out from writing to them. And this is what he writes. From now on, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Give me a break. I mean, he's the guy who, he's the guy who takes off his shirt and he says, yeah, you want to be an apostle? <laughs> I bear in my body. We've read it before. And this same, from this same second, how many times was he scourged? How many times was he beaten with rods? Why? Because he was just obeying the Lord who said, and I'm going to send you to the Jews, and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, and you will speak before kings. He spoke before Agrippa. King Agrippa, he spoke before the governor, the Roman governor Felix. He spoke before Caesar. And under his clothes were the marks of Jesus. Imprisonments, read all about that in the 16th chapter of Acts. Of course, they beat him before they put him into prison. You remember him and Silas, his companion, and what did they do at midnight? Can you imagine this? Here you are, you're in, the Philippian, you're in the Philippian jail. The Romans have thrown you into jail for whatever reason. And then here come these two Christian Jewish guys. <laughs> They've been beat publicly out in the stoa, in the public square. <laughs> and at midnight, they're bleeding. Their feet are in the, feet are in the stalks. And what are they doing? <laughs> hey, you know what? Let's sing number 423. You remember 423? Oh, yeah, I love that one. Let's sing that one. <laughs> Immortal, invisible. Now, they didn't sing that, but that's the only hymn I know. <laughs> they sung hymns to God, beaten and imprisoned, and riots. In fact, sometimes uh, translated vicious mobs. In fact, in the 14th chapter of Acts, that vicious mob turned really vicious when they stoned Paul and left him for dead. And labors, in the Greek, literally working to the point of absolute exhaustion and sleepless nights, he says. In fact, there's a funny little, I say funny, well, it's funny to a preacher. Maybe it's not funny to people who have to listen to preachers. But there's a funny little story in the 20th chapter of Acts. It goes like this. 
starting at verse 7, uh, verse seven and on the first day of the week, we, when we, the Luke is, Luke is uh, referring to, he was a part of the group. He was there. He saw it all. <laughs> this is firsthand eyewitness testimony. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread in somebody's house, they're having church, basically, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. So it was Sunday, and he's going to leave on Monday. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. <laughs> so, yeah, Scott went 35 minutes. How would you like to hang around till midnight? And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were, where they were gathered, and a young man, a young man who couldn't take it anymore, a guy called Eutychus, he was sitting in the window. Bad place to sit when the preachers go long. He was sitting in the window in this, up, this upper, upper room. He sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down to the third, from the third story and was t- taken up dead. But Paul went down and, and bent over him and taking him in his arms said to the people, Don't be alarmed for his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broke it, then had got, but he raised him more or less from the dead or or otherwise revived him from his, this situation. <clears throat> and when Paul had gone up again and broke bread, that's the code language for Holy Communion, and had eaten, he conversed with them a, a, a long while until daybreak. <laughs> My wife is laughing because I have this sort of, I have this sort of, uh, well, she usually does something like this. Oh, that's enough. On Sunday, she usually says something like, I already got the sermon. And then he says, and hunger. In fact, Peterson puts all three together in his his paraphrase, the message, and he he paraphrases these last three examples this way. He says, working hard, working late, and working without eating. And so authentic ministry is characterized by endurance. And then Paul says that that authentic ministry is characterized by authentic spirituality. Not being spiritual because it's your job. You know what? Look, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you do something right, just be yourself. In fact, I was telling Victoria just the other day, I, I, I was saying to her, I don't worry about being an example. I don't, I know, you know, this is what you need to do in order to be an example. Because that can oftentimes lead to a put-on. And so I need to be something outwardly, even if I'm not that thing inwardly. And so I told her, and and then, then there was, it became the time, you know, time out. So I wrapped it up. In fact, in the house, I usually say, here endeth the lesson. That's, and then there's just like this relief. And... (laughs) but what I said was you don't have to worry about being an example when you're authentically chasing after Christ that will be the byproduct of what you're doing in your mind and in your heart and in your life and so, so authentic ministry is characterized by authentic spirituality Notice verses 6 and 7. He says, and we do our ministry by purity and with knowledge and patience 
and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with weapons of righteousness for the right hand. <laughs> he says basically, he's basically saying, and I'm armed with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And so authentic ministry is characterized by authentic spirituality, which includes purity. And remember a time in my life where that, that would, be, would have been the last thing that I wanted to be pure. Good night. But what does it mean? Purity of heart. It means to be pure in your thoughts and your motives. To have motives that are like what the motives that motivate God to take action, which then gives rise to purity of action. And this is critical. It certainly was critical with Jesus. In fact, one of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and verse 8, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who will see God? Who will see God? I'm waiting. The pure in heart. The pure in heart. They, the, the, there's no agenda. What you see is what you get. They fail. They succeed. But they're chasing after God. They want to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They want that. It's not perfection. That would be impossible. What God is looking for in us is progress. And don't talk about how you're on a journey if you're going nowhere. Progress, even if it's baby steps. In fact, you know what? That's what I do. That's what I'm trying to do, baby steps. Hey, you know what? You can, get, you can go a long way, baby steps, if you're doing it all the time. Now, if you take a baby steps once every, I don't know, Fourth of July. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you're taking baby steps every day and you're dealing with your stuff and you're saying, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. And you go to the person and say, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, and I shouldn't have thought that. And, uh, and God knows my private life as well as my public life. And all of this stuff. Man, you can, look, imagine. Where, which direction am I heading? I'm heading to the west. I could probably make it to the end of the county at least by the end of the month. That's pretty good. That's some big progress. Baby steps are good. What about Bob? I mean, that was the point of the whole movie. Huh? And knowledge, he says. Knowledge. What is he talking about? He does his ministry with knowledge. Apostolic knowledge. Knowledge that came to him from God. It was all about God. He didn't have anything to say. In fact, the thing that got Paul in trouble was he wasn't preaching the old stuff. He wasn't preaching the stuff Paul, they used to be able to depend on Paul to preach. He was just talking the Jesus stuff now. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And so our own ministry should be based in this same truth, this same knowledge. He says, and patience. In fact, the word patience here, and it's rightly or interestingly uh, um, translated in the, in the King James Bible. Long-suffering, that's literally what it means, which is somewhat r related to endurance, being able to, to hold on 
and to keep going. He says, and kindness, or that is to say benevolence, concern for the needs of other people. And the Holy Spirit, of course, the alternative uh, to doing ministry in the Holy Spirit, uh, doing Holy Spirit, doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit is doing ministry in your own power and for your own ends. But Paul said he did ministry in the Holy Spirit and with genuine love, that is, love without hypocrisy. Have you ever been stabbed in the back? <laughs> That's and you. It wouldn't make any difference. I mean, that's what the psalmist says, right? It, 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 the, the, the pain didn't come from somebody that I knew was my enemy. The pain came from somebody who was telling me that he or she was my friend. Genuine love is genuine. You can trust it. And Paul says that's what we're talking about here. You may not want our love, Corinthians. But we're here to meet it out. What do you need? How can I help you? And let me tell you what a wonderful plan God has if you're willing to walk with Him, which is related to the seventh one, truthful speech. That is, speaking the truth, whether it's appreciated or not. Remember, again, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, I'm the, uh, look, I'm not, no, no. I'm not going to make any more lunches for you no more loaves and fish because the point of that from the beginning was in a, a, an attempt to draw you to myself so I could tell you that I am the bread of life. That's the truth. And when they heard the truth, they said, <laughs> we're not interested. And so Paul says, uh, tr through speaking truth, whether it was appreciated or not. In fact, he, writing to uh, Timothy again, in his second letter to Timothy, he wrote this, for the time will come when people will no longer endure sound teaching. They will no longer be interested in the truth. But with itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People that tell them just exactly what they want to hear. And that's big business if you have the gifts and talents to pull it off. <laughs> but he says uh, to, 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 uh, to Timothy, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. Well, what does that mean? Oh, well, then I guess we shouldn't, I guess we, <laughs> I can't make a living at this if I tell the truth. Well, maybe you can't, but I don't suggest you stop telling the truth. Hey, by the way, I did this a long time before anybody started paying me doing it doing it. I started when I was 18. <laughs> that, was a, that was a lot of years. And the issue was to be faithful and to speak the truth. And he says, and the power of God as opposed to human power. That's how I'm doing my ministry. And then he says this really interesting thing. He says, and with weapons, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Now you think about that in the ancient world, and most people are right-handed. In the right hand would be an offensive weapon like a sword in the ancient world. And the, and the left hand would be a, 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 um, a defensive we weapon, a shield. But he calls them weapons of righteousness. If, if, if what he wrote to the Ephesians, in Ephesians, what we know as Ephesians chapter 6, maybe what he's talking about is the, is the weapons of truth and righteousness and peace and faith and deliverance or salvation and the word of God. 
In fact, this is what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. Don't be weak in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not your might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against, he's talking about evil forces, against rulers and authorities, angelic ones, against cosmic, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Verse 13, and therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day or in the day that you're attacked. And having done all of this, stand firm. Don't retreat. You've got the armor? Stand your ground. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, what we would call body armor, and as a shoes, a feet that have been uh, put, uh, excuse me, and as, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that's feet shod with the, with the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation <laughs> so you think and write and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <laughs> and then Paul says that authentic ministry is characterized by contrasts and seeming contradictions. Notice, uh, lastly, here in this section, uh, verses 8 and 9. Through honor and dishonor. We are doing our ministry as servants of God, and sometimes we get honor and sometimes we get dishonor. Uh, through slander and praise. We're treated as imposters, and yet we're true. As unknown people, nobodies, unrecognized, and yet we're well known. Unknown by the world, known by God. As dying, like dead men walking, and behold, haha, we're alive. As punished and yet we're not killed. As sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. As poor, having nothing and yet making other people rich. As having nothing and yet possessing everything. And so as ministers... Of, uh, 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 as we minister as a God's servants, uh, 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 we do so whether it uh, leads to honor or dishonor. Or as a, the New Living Translation puts it, we serve God whether people honor or despise us. This is apostolic. <laughs> we ministered uh, uh, as God's servants whether we're slandered or praised. Or as uh, Peterson puts it in the message, we serve God whether we're praised or blamed. <laughs> we minister as God's servants, you and I, if we're ministers. <laughs> we minister as God's servants even when we're treated as imposters, that is, deceivers. It's interesting. Uh, in fact, there was a cross-reference as I was looking at all of this. And that's what Jesus was called. Jesus was called a deceiver. <laughs> 
He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know what he's all? His enemies didn't call him the way, the truth, and the life. You know what they called him? A deceiver. And so after he died and, and, and he was buried, there were, there, his enemies, some of his enemies went to Pilate and said, you know that deceiver said he was going to ra- rise the third day. You better put some people on that grave. <laughs> the deceiver. But Paul says, but we know that we're true. We know that. We're not trying to, we're not trying to pull over anything on anybody. As, as we minister as God's servants, we do so even if we're treated as nobodies, knowing that God knows us. Who cares? As we minister as God's servants, we do so even if our very lives should be threatened. Paul says, Indeed, as long as we have breath, Paul says, we will (laughs) serve him. And so in sorrow, we still rejoice. In poverty, we will not forget that the message that we share with other people makes them rich in God. And even if we should come to nothing serving God, we will remember that we are heirs with Christ. In fact, Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. He tells us in our heart that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. <laughs> I've been watching the 403B, which is the clergy, uh, the clergy uh, edition of the 401K. I lost a lot of money the other day. That was, I meant, I'm going to stop talking to the wife, talking to Linda and say, man, you can't believe it because I, I'm, going to, I'm going to lose a lot of it in a couple of days after that. <laughs> and what if you lose it all? If I'm heirs with Christ, if you're an heir with Christ, you own it all. And so that's, what authentic ministry looks like and the power and the energy of it. And so what should be our response? And this we'll do quickly. What should be our response? Well, authentic ministry deserves a response. It's worthy of a response. Notice verses 12 and 13. Uh, Verses 11 through 13. He he says to them, he says that, I've spoken to you freely. (laughs) I've let you know everything I'm thinking. Indeed, Corinthians, our, our hearts, our heart is open wide to you. <laughs> Take a look. <laughs> it's all there. You're not restricted by us. We're not telling you to behave yourself. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. You're holding, we're not holding back from you. You're holding back from us. And then verse 13 in return, as a, as a reciprocal act, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts towards us. As, spiritual, as a spiritual father to you, Paul is saying. <laughs> I've given you everything I've got. Love me back. <laughs> is what he's saying. Authentic ministry is by definition authentic, and so you can trust it when it speaks, and it speaks honestly and openly and freely. 
And you can trust it when it acts because there's no hidden agendas. And so the proper response to authentic ministry is to respond in kind. Authentic ministry is free and full. It holds nothing back. And so our response to authentic ministry is to respond with freedom and fullness and openness and authenticity. Don't fear it. <laughs> Embrace it. And so here's the challenge as we close. Very quickly, three things. To recognize authentic ministry when you see it. To pursue authentic ministry when you're engaged in your ministries at Holy Cross and in other places. And to support and encourage authentic ministry when you see others doing it. Tell them you see it. <laughs> Recognizing and responding to authentic ministry. Amen? <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples of Jesus. Help us, Lord, not just to use him, you know, as a sort of a service manager <laughs> for, for life. He's Lord. He's curious. He's God, even as you are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to respect Him and help us to understand that someone so great as Him has given all that He has to reach us and not just to do favors for us once in a while, but to transform our lives <laughs> that we might know what it's like to live the way He lives. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, it's no longer I, but Christ who's alive in me. Let that be our experience. I suspect, Lord, that even as I'm thinking about this extraordinary material as it comes from us, comes to us from Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, that there's others here and even watching maybe on live stream that have been touched I pray that those seeds that have been sown might not be stealed, stolen away, but might may take true root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives, change our lives. <laughs> I pray. Change me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.